Falcon, I know you can't see it, but Rob has some new specs. Oh, and they are glasses of the new evangelization. I got glasses of the new evangelization, dude. You got rid of those ones that you that came with your new Game Boy DS. Dude, you you are holding on to that and no now they're my backup pair that's a sick package deal i don't know how you got those yeah so i had to i am pretty much just dependent on my glasses at this point and i was like crap if these break then i'm in trouble and so anyway i needed a new prescription regardless so i just got a new pair of frames and i went with glasses of the new evangelization they they do look sharp i like them Good story, Rob. Tell it again. Good story, <laughs> Rob. Okay, well, I needed a new prescription. <laughs> and so literally I... telling it again. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. That was the big throat clear I needed. Well, do you jabronis have any uh, topics? Um, one just surface, and I have another one in the back of my brain slash okay. heart. But we can put like a little B episode out and Mike has a topic. Now. <laughs> Dude, that's going to be the A plus episode. A plus. What's your topic, Mike? No, well, let's let's throw out Rob's topics because mine probably would be the B topic. No, let's let's bring I don't know. I don't have anything. I had a couple things, but I would. Dude, we, we have we have a formula. <laughs> all right. OK. And it works. Fair enough. And we all love it. Fair enough. What about you, Bisque? Anything? Same as Mike, I got a couple of things on the back burner, but I'll probably right. just try to interject them. Okay, and these aren't, yeah, well, I guess what I had been thinking over and just praying praying through this week, um, one, and we've talked about this on, I don't know if we want to go back to it, but just how important imagination is, like in our lives and in our prayer. I've been going back through some of my 30-day journals and... Um, I just haven't like I've had a very fruitful, cool week of prayer, honestly. And um, I don't know, just like in reading through my journals and journaling this week, just realizing how much this stuff that like these stories that I read and um, was just given, like even as a kid and how they, you know, it's not it's not to say it's the same Thing. Like I'm just imagining these stories, but putting myself in it in this prayer. But they're able to give so much context and actually be able to name like what's going on in these in these prayer experiences. Even I mean, and very like probably for everybody else, very mundane things. So it's just been this cool. Um, I call it like a transformation of the ordinary, is what's been happening in in a really beautiful way. Um, so there was that, and, and this has definitely been coupled with that coming up in, in my prayer, with just the importance of um, spiritual siblings. And so we talk a lot about spiritual fatherhood and spiritual motherhood on here, and I don't know if I've ever heard anyone use the term spiritual siblings, but I just, yeah, I mean, there are certain people that, um, 
I don't know, it's just very, very cool, but feel very close to them as a brother or sister. And, like, we need them. Like, from guys here at the seminary to old friends, um, what, whatever. But we all need, to some extent, a spiritual uh, sibling. I'm sure we're all thinking of specific people who who fill that role for us. But but you mean in, sen- in the sense of, like, a peer rather than... A father and mother yeah. would be a superior. Hang on a second. Kind. What, Porter? Porter, come in. Relax. So let me finish this train of thought. Okay. When I get absolutely just derailed. Yeah. Uh, so spiritual siblings, but there's a cool story I've noticed, and Tolkien points it out. I think in, I don't know what uh, book in Lord of the Rings it is, but maybe it's the first one when frodo is setting off and it's either the the elf lady or gandalf one or the other that tells him that elf lady has a name <laughs> is it galadriel galadriel okay yeah. is well, that she's it a, um she's a lady okay <laughs> so but she tells them something to the effect of like you will at some point in your journey you're going to receive friends unlooked for and um, and it's a really cool part of the book when specifically, I think it's when Faromir finds Frodo and like he helps Frodo and Sam along the way for a little bit. And it's like for Frodo and Sam, it's completely unexpected. But I've noticed that in good writing, that very often happens where they're able to integrate um, a friend kind of out of the blue, like that that comes unlooked for. And I guess that's where I was going with like the spiritual sibling thing of like, there's just certain relationships that I have, especially I mean, even in the past month or so, that have really, um, I don't know, taken on a new uh, just level of friendship that really means a lot. And it's it's with people that honestly, like totally, totally unexpected. Uh, and so it's just this cool experience of like God taking care of me. Um, so we can honestly toss it. That was just kind of what I was loosely working with. Well, it's interesting because it kind of fits in with what, I was thinking about, especially yesterday, I went to spiritual direction um, up at Loyola, and my spiritual director gave me something to read, uh, a little Ignatian. That's right. He's a beast, dude. Um, So I was kind of lamenting how reading the breviary every day, it's just kind of feels like going through the motions. Uh, A lot of times I'll read like all three Psalms and not be able to tell you a single word that I just read. Because it's early in the morning and I'm doing it to get to another thing, like preparing a homily or getting down to the office. I just need to get this thing done. And he gave me this article, which was all about um, one of the additions, ADD additions of uh, the spiritual exercise, which is like Ignatius's little um, kind of instructions or additional instructions to how he wants the retreatants to pray on the spiritual exercises and of course you guys know this but one of the things is to stand before the place you are to pray for the length of an our father and uh behold god looking at you and um and how he looks at you and so that that begins the contemplation in the setting of like okay god is i'm entering the presence of god i'm not like doing something or saying something to make him present whether it be read the scriptures or the psalms or the breviary and then boom all of a sudden god appears 
um, but that he is already present looking at me and I am now turning toward him or lifting up my heart to him. But the way this guy explained it was really, really interesting. And uh, it's going to require, I'm going to probably read it again today. Uh, but he draws a parallel with early child development and something that's called mind blindness. Have you ever heard of this term psychologically? Oh, yeah. Mind blindness? I have not. Yeah. So, I, I think we may have talked about this on an earlier episode, actually. Really? But just keep going. Sorry. Keep going. Um, so it's something that happens like between three and four years of age. Kids for the first time realize that other human beings have minds that are analogous to their own. And they start to be able to sympathize with people or, or understand other people's points of view, like in a, a basic way. But up until then, they basically only know the world through their own experience and they assume that everyone experiences it the exact same way or that they everybody knows what they know um you know it's just like they they're unable to sympathize because they're not developed yet and one of the things about autism specifically is that that mind blindness never really goes away like depending on the, the severity of the autism a severely autistic person no matter how old they are still can't um, sympathize or empathize because their world they're just mind blind they don't they don't see a bunch of independent human subjects they see pe people as objects who act unpredictably and they can't make sense of it because they can't put themselves in the shoes of somebody who doesn't know what they know or doesn't feel what they feel does that make sense yes am yep. i describing that well yes so his point was that we are all to some extent, uh, mind, blind, mind blind toward God, or what he says very severely and kind of shockingly, spiritually autistic. Meaning that we come into the presence of God and we just kind of assume that he has the same mind as us or that we, basically he knows or feels all the things that we know and feel and nothing else. Rather than being able to like sympathize or empathize with God, which is what that the point of that spiritual exercise is, is coming into God's presence and, and looking at him, look at you, makes you realize that God has feelings and thoughts and knowledge independent of whatever I'm thinking or knowing or feeling. Um, it's not, I mean, it sounds super basic, but when I really started to understand what this guy was saying was was basically like, applied perfectly to the way that I have been praying for a long time. And I mean, to some extent I've gotten out of it and actually encountered God. But, um, when I get into these ruts, like whether it be with the breviary or holy hours or even mass, it's when it's like all on me. Like if I'm praying, I'm just trying to basically reflect on my own inner experience and my thoughts and my feelings and kind of talk my way through all of those things and just assume, okay, God's present here, even though I'm just having a conversation with myself rather than letting myself be kind of shocked or surprised yeah. by what, I mean, he still, he still speaks to us through our thoughts and feelings, but, um, <clears throat> he, you know, like our modern sensibilities of kind of doubt and individualism and different things that kind of, um, military, against our understanding God this way as because it kind of sounds superstitious like oh I heard the voice of God you know like well how do you know that 
you know, how can you demonstrate mm -hmm. that? It's much easier to say like, well, it makes sense to me because when I do this, I'm happier. I feel this way when I do this, that must be God guiding me in this direction. And, you know, like that stuff all makes sense to us, but God telling us to like make a phone call or, um, or that he loves us when we don't feel loved or it's, I'm not describing it well, but it, it, it like opened my mind to something that I feel like I, I really might need be the quantum leap I need in my own prayer life. Um, particularly because like in an, another connection to what you said, the second thing, the spiritual sibling thing, one of the things that came up as I was praying last night in my mind was the movie Castaway. Do you remember that movie with Tom Hanks? Oh yeah. Dude, where he talks I've to a volleyball. To watch that movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I was thinking about what led me to think about that movie was some memories from when I was fighting fires and how beautiful it was out there in California and Montana and all the places I got to go. And I was kind of in my memory putting myself back in some of those places. And my, my overwhelming feeling or perception in my mind was that all those beautiful places, those mountains and trees and forests and hills and rivers were all just these dumb creatures. What I really remembered about that time was the people I was with. Mm. Not so much the, the vistas, you know, I was like, well, trees, trees are great. Mountains are great, but they can't talk to you. And they're not, um, they're not mysterious in the same way that a human person is mysterious. And in cast, Castaway, it's no wonder. Like he's on, people go to island destinations all the time. But the torture of that place is that not just that he's hungry or that he doesn't know how to make fire, but that he's alone. And he's so desperate for company that he talks to that volleyball um, as his friend, you know, and he's sad when he loses him and stuff like that. And I, I just think it makes so much sense uh, that the human person is made for relationship and that God would want to relate to us like that uh, is so key to understanding the purpose of existence, you know, like to just, I don't know, be in our, it's what, what's so poisonous about the modern individualism of like, I'm going to make my own way or, or whatever, is that it can poison our relationship with God and with ourselves and think like, I need to justify myself before God. I need yeah. to somehow like even prayer becomes this thing like an expectation I have for myself. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And it's not God telling us, like, if you don't pray, then I can't talk to you or I'm going to be mad or, you know, you're not going to be good enough. Like, all that stuff is such crap. And I'm just rambling here, but it just seems yeah. to me like it's so key um, that we, we understand this in friendship. We understand this in relationships with other human beings. Like, if you don't, if you don't countenance the fact that, that person is another person and has a completely unique experience and the thrill of life is engaging another person on their experience, being able to empathize, sympathize and enter into their experience with them and they enter your experience with you. That is the stuff of human life. So how much more would the spiritual life be entering into that kind of communion with God? Not just some like spiritual self-perfection project yeah. you know what well, i mean well that's oh yeah i do and it is i that is you actually did a pretty good job because that is a razor thin distinction but yeah. it is like that is so key to the spiritual life 
Um, so I think actually having that fleshed out is is very helpful in that in that way. But honestly, when you were talking, it's like that's the move typically of we talk a lot about you know, we're anti-spiritual heroism or whatever you want to call it. But that's typically, at least in my reading of it, the move of the saints. Even even a colossal figure like St. Augustine, the reason the Confessions is a classic is because he dared to, in my understanding of it, to let God tell him his own story from God's perspective, mm-hmm. in a sense. And it's like, that is, that's how you have to understand the saints is like they they understand that they're just like everybody else but it's not them like climbing some mountain to god it's not how the saints are not examples of how high we can go it's examples of how far god will come down to get us and they're the ones that let him go all the way down um and so it's it's that is a tough, tough thing. Well, what makes it tougher is that my yeah. own experience of it is like I preach that exact thing. We talk about that exact thing on the podcast all the time, but I still get caught up in the web of like, oh, oh I didn't pray totally. yet today, and it's just like, oh gosh, I get so frustrated because, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just under this delusion of autonomy or ownership that like I, I own my time or my prayer or my relationship with God. And it's just, it's like, no, man, I, I don't get any of that. What I get is a relationship as a son to the almighty God, always and everywhere. And that of course requires a response. Of course we we're not saying it's like, just do whatever you want because God loves you anyway. It's like, no, that what really transforms us is not engaging the demands or obligations of sonship with God, but the the privileges. Because then you're like, you're hungry for prayer. You know, that's what I was experiencing last night before the Blessed Sacrament, after our holy hour. I just wanted to stay in there because I was like, yes, okay, yep. I think I get it. Because I, I just want to be here. I, the TV doesn't draw me yeah. the way it does when I, when prayer feels like work. If prayer feels like a conversation or even just spending time and keeping company with God, there's a there's a massive peace there, and that, like you said, that's what Augustine and all the saints experienced. But uh, it's elusive, man, because it's okay. not because you have to you have to disengage everything in your mind that says I want power, I want control, I want to understand, um, or or disengage anything in your mind that says um, I just need to work on this, or like this will. I'll do this. Yeah, there must be something wrong with me. I'm not doing it right. Like, I'm not quite doing it right. I need to grow, and then I'll be able to experience this type of of thing. It's similar, Mets, when we were talking to Father Welter yesterday, that's kind of what was coming up, too. And this, again, it's so basic to talk about this, at least at the surface, is just that notion that God is within and we are without and so again, a move of the saints, like well, Augustine's line of "You were without, you were within, I was without." You called, you shouted, you broke through my deafness. Blah blah blah. Those great lines. But even Saint Teresa of Avila, like those mansions, the interior, the most interior spot is where God dwells in you. And so all this stuff we talk about in Catholicism is, I think, stuff we've talked about on a podcast before, where a key has no function without a lock. 
mm-hmm. but what it's doing is unlocking our humanity. And so it's, in a sense, much more so than even like self-growth is self-discovery in it. And there's purification that that happens. Um, but I don't know, Scott told me this. Uh, I really like this one time. He was talking about when uh, there's a story with Archbishop Supich when he got named Archbishop of Chicago, is that when he was visiting his uh, visiting Mundelein for the first time, who you know he was in charge of as the Archbishop at this point, and someone told him about the villa out here, which is like this beautiful house that Cardinal Mundelein built and belongs to the Archbishop of Chicago. And they said, I don't remember who it was, but they said his reaction was like very cool because he was just blown away. And I guess he was like, wow, I have a house. And so like in this role as the Archbishop of Chicago, this house belongs to him. And Scott made the connection. He was like, that's kind of like the spiritual life of just like this discovery of all of the, in a sense, rights and privileges that come with being a son of the father. Um, And so it's like, wow, this is this is here and it's mine. I but I literally had no idea until someone told me. So I don't know if that connects, but and another thing, um, I that article reminded me of um, it wasn't on a podcast that we talked about it, but it was an article that we read at IPF, Mind Blindness. Uh, I remember it, and uh, <clears throat> I had a really um, deep experience with that exact thing that you articulated, the spiritual autism. Um, and I'm going to try to keep this really vague, but, uh, a good buddy who was like, he was my, one of my spiritual dads growing up, no doubt about it. And, um, he, he's kind of grown into more of a spiritual brother now. And we, uh, ran into each other and he's a a fair amount older than I am. Um, but he was telling me about, he has a a special needs daughter and his daughter is just this beautiful little girl. And he was telling me about her. And he said that she has a couple of different um, disabilities that this allows her from actually relating to people in front of her. And so he said it's really tough as a father to sit in front of your daughter and to be there loving her. And she just doesn't have the ability to grasp that there's a person in front of her to connect to and to relate with. And he has a fair number of other children. And um, it was really beautiful to hear him talk about how much he loves this daughter that may not even know that he is her dad. Mm. He said that he's like, I don't, I'm pretty sure that she does. That's what he said. But if I sit in front of her, um, there's no connection that's made from a Mm. person to a person. Um, And it's really beautiful to hear, like he'll send his children up and they'll just sit with her in her room for an hour at a time or so to keep her company because she just kind of goes around and like eats everything and just she you know she has like superhuman strength which a lot of down syndrome kids have and so she just wrecks the house and 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 yet they still just love her so they keep her up in this room and um it's like a very safe place for her to be so that she won't hurt herself and they'll just send children up and they'll say this is your time to go spend with you know, with, with your sister and they'll just sit there and watch her so that she has a person with her in her room at all times so mm-hmm. that she's not isolated, so that she still has that dignity of a human person. And they'll bring her down and have her eat dinner with them. And she's like <laughs> apparently just totally destructive the entire dinner. But the whole family 
just gathers around her and loves her entirely with the full dignity that she has. But this guy was saying, he was like, it's incredible to sit there with my daughter and to be there in front of her and just tell her, like, I love you. I'm right here in front of you. I love you. And he was saying, like, how often I feel like God the Father does that to me in prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm right in front of you. I'm loving you so much right now. And we just have this mind blindness, this uh, this spiritual autism, this inability to at times recognize God staring us right in the face and loving us entirely. Um, and I think, like, you're totally right, Rob, that the connection that has to be made is one that we allow God to enter into the deepest part of us. And then the deeper that he goes down, the deeper we meet him mm-hmm. and, and realize that, yeah, Father, loving us entirely, constantly saving our lives, constantly loving us and protecting us and feeding us and um, just wanting to be our dad essentially is it. And <clears throat> to be honest, that's something that's intellectually, boom, I can articulate it beautifully. I can give some sick talks on that. But I'm still like, it. it's slowly trickling down into my heart, certainly, that love of the Father always present there. Um, but that's certainly been one of the big graces that I've I've been praying for is to really experience that. Um, well, it's like the image that comes to my mind is <clears throat> when I pray, it's as if I were going to visit an old friend, a good friend, and uh, we sit down together and I pull out a picture album of the times we had together or just pictures of that person and I think about them <laughs> rather than actually talk to them, you know? And yeah. Oh, yeah. therefore, if I just, if I'm looking at pictures or thinking of memories or um, kind of conjecturing at what this person might be thinking right now or feeling, um, then all I'm engaging is my own experience, my own perceptions and my own memories. Yeah. And I'm not open to anything new that that person might reveal to me about themselves or any new experience I might have with that person in sure. a conversation or in some activity together. And so it's a subtle thing, but you have to, um, those pictures and memories are great, but, uh, it's not just about the past or, or your own inner experience of that person, but the person themselves. And therefore like your thing about diving into your own heart, cause that's where God is. God is within, we are without it's helpful. But to me, sometimes I have to just imagine, and maybe this is why the blessed sacrament is, um, so important for us and maybe for our generation or the new evangelization is because it it shows us in a radical way uh god's otherness that he's out he's also outside of us he's infinitely above us and mysterious sure. and he and he meets us face to face in jesus uh the person of jesus that uh, yeah. is the face of the father and we encounter him face to face um and can get out of ourselves because you know I don't know. I just like everything about how I was raised or my own religious experience, both prior to seminary and in seminary, it's been like the temptation is always to just go in, in, in my own experience, my own needs, my own wants. And uh, like whether it was going to the nursing home or going to the orphanage in El Salvador, like these, these kind of watershed experiences for me were encounters that totally made me forget myself for a moment 
and get lost in other people. And that's what prayer is at its best, is getting lost in another. So you you forget yourself. That's what heaven is. Why heaven is so great is because you're not thinking about yourself anymore. You're just wrapped up in a beauty that's so transfixing and enthralling that um, you forget to want anything. You're just totally satisfied. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, We need to give a shout out to Paul Porter, who's a fellow dog of Cam 3 North, and he just rolled out. He's uh, got a video editing background before seminary, and he's doing this thing. I think it's just a YouTube video. It's not a website or anything, but he's going to start putting out. They're very well done. I've seen a lot of them, Uh, but today is the release of the first one. So you can go to YouTube, and it's the connection between St. Sebastian, Bob Marley, and the boring nature of sin. So they're going to be like four to five minute videos over just like cool connections and topics like that. They're really well done. So if you're interested in Bob Martley and St. Sebastian, uh, just go to YouTube and type in St. Sebastian and Bob Marley. Yeah. Cool. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.